Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. More on how much and when you can contribute to your pension scheme. House prices hit new highs, but how reliable are the indices that measure them? Plus, a possible new way to finance long-term care. I'm Jonathan Ely, and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with the help of my FT Money colleagues, Joe Cumbo. Hello. And Norma Cohen. Hello. Plus the FT's stats guru, Kate Allen. Hello. First, those of us who contribute to pension schemes are subject to a limit on how much we can put into those schemes and still continue to obtain tax relief on contributions. In a bid to limit the cost of tax relief to the Exchequer and demonstrate that we are indeed all in this together, the allowances have been falling in recent years. Next April, for instance, the lifetime allowance, the tax-relieved amount you can contribute to a pension over your entire working life, fall from one and a half million to one and a quarter million pounds. At the same time, the annual allowance for tax-relieved employee contributions will drop from 50,000 to 40,000 pounds. But what happens if your existing pension savings are already just above the new lower limit? The government this week revealed some transitional arrangements for just such a scenario, and Joe Cumbo has been looking through them. Joe, why is the government offering these protection arrangements? Well, while the lifetime fall from 1.5 million to 1.25 million won't be a major headache for most people, it is going to be a problem for the estimated 30,000 or so individuals, mainly high-earning public servants and in the private sector, who have savings valued at or pension rights valued at 1.25 million to 1.5 million, who will be impacted by the overnight fall in the lifetime allowance from April 5 to April 6. So what these protection arrangements are trying to do is sort of soften the blow and allow them to protect the rights they've built up or were building up in the lead up to April 6. Okay, and what exactly is the government proposing? There are two things that the government is proposing, which is a little different. We've had um, a, a trail of changes since 2006. Mainly it's been one option, but this time there'll be two options. And the first is something some listeners may be familiar with, and it's called fixed protection. When the lifetime allowance was reduced from 1.8 million to 1.5 million last year, this transitional protection was introduced and it the government intends to offer it again next year. And and how it works is is that it it will allow savers to lock in to the 1.5 million higher rate as it is and basically disregard the lower LTA. So what you can do, even if your savings are still below 1.5 million, you can lock into the current rate, but there are a few drawbacks with doing that. It means that you must stop 
future pension contributions basically have got to opt out of pension savings. So this is really for people who are relying on continued investment growth in their fund to push them up to that 1.5 million level. Um, This must be claimed before April 6 next year. The second option, this is new flexibility that is being introduced for the first time, is something called individual protection. And the way it works is that on April 5 next year, the last day of the tax year, the value of your pension fund will be effectively set as your personalised lifetime allowance. It will substitute uh, 1.25, which will happen from April 6. So, for example, if your fund is worth 1.4 million, on April 5, that will be your personalised lifetime allowance. And if your pension pot is worth 1.6 million, um, too bad, but it's going to be 1.5 million from there on because that is the maximum. It's not going to go any higher than that. And there are a couple of um, perks to this kind of um, protection in that there are no restrictions on making further contributions to your fund, which might be a major perk for some people. For example, if you're in Um, a final salary scheme, your fund can continue to grow. It won't be a headache for you in the way it is currently if you've got fixed protection now or indeed if your fund does fall in value, you can top it up. Okay, it all seems um, fairly confusing and complex though still. How will savers know which option is is the right one for them? Well, there are drawbacks. There are um, pros and cons to each option. Fixed protection, as I pointed out, um, one of the drawbacks is that you can't make contributions. And more importantly and significantly for many people, it means their employer, the free money for their employer will have to stop. So if you're in a company where your employer doesn't offer uh, any other way of you taking that pension contribution, for example, if your salary won't be um, boosted with a cash payment, in lieu of no more further pension contributions. Now, this is the case for most public servants. Um, Individual protection could look much more uh, attractive to you, but there are also pros and cons of individual protection in that anything that you continue to save above your lifetime allowance will incur a 55% tax charge. So you're going to hand over a lot to the taxman at the end of the day. But at least it's offering more choice and more flexibility. But there are pros and cons. And, and of course, with anything with pensions, uh, more flexibility does always equal more complexity. So it's more uh, important than ever to get advice about what to do. And there are important timelines that you need to take into account too. Um, while this is a consultation, you'd need to make up your mind before April 6 next year if you wanted fixed protection, or you can take both. But that's why it gets really complicated. Okay, thank you very much, Joe. There's more detail on what's in and what's out on page three of this weekend's FT Money, where you'll also find a piece about the campaign to get index-linked state pensions for those who have retired overseas. FT Money is available on both Saturday and Sunday as part of FT Weekend. You can also read via the FT's tablet applications on Kindle and online at www.ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, more about the ways in which long-term care might be funded in future. But first, let's indulge in one of Britain's favourite topics of conversation, house prices. Property prices are going up, aren't they? Everybody's talking about it. Indeed, property prices always go up. They're the best investment there is. Mark Twain was spot on when he said, buy land, they don't make it anymore. No wonder over a million people in the UK now own a buy-to-let property. But when you drill into the data... All is not quite as it seems. House price data is enormously inconsistent and very subjective, and properties' investment credentials are not quite as they first appear either. 
I'm joined now by someone who drills into data for a living. Kate Allen is one of the Financial Times stats journalists and has been looking in great detail at the various measures of house prices. Kate, let's start with the house price indices, which are constantly quoted in the newspapers and on television and radio. When people say prices are going up, it's usually on the basis of what either the Halifax or Nationwide indices are doing. But what are these indices actually measuring? Well, in the case of Halifax and Nationwide, the figures they come up with are based on what mortgages they're lending on at the time. So obviously those organisations may be operating in different parts of the country, they may be lending on different types of property, and they're comparing a typical house on a like-for-like basis. Their definitions of a typical house may vary as well. Okay, so all the properties that are being sold without a mortgage are therefore not captured in that data? No, they're not. Okay, now the land registry... Um, know which registers title to property in, in England and Wales, knows about every property transaction. So surely their index is more comprehensive? Um, no, <laughs> strangely not. Um, the land registry uses um, its its database to identify repeat sales. That means the same house having been sold once and then being sold again. This is to ensure its index compares apples to apples, not apples to pears or oranges. Um, This means it excludes new build properties um, and also it excludes homes which only changed hands before its data set began in 1996. So it actually takes a very, very large database and cuts it down into just a few thousand examples. Okay, so that's no no good either. And has anyone else come up with a, a better alternative? Is there an index that, that sort of um, captures sales made for cash as well as those made with mortgages, but uses a bigger data set for, for more reliable data? Well, there are a couple of others which are widely um, kind of known. The first is the Office for National Statistics, which produces um, its own index. Um, it uses a sample of mortgage completions data from the Council of Mortgage Lenders. And again, therefore, that doesn't include properties that have been bought without a mortgage for cash. Um, although it has to be said, the ONS is currently trying to improve its index um, to make it more comprehensive. So we should watch out for that in case it comes up with a radical new way of doing things that is an improvement. The other index that's worth mentioning is the LSL Academetrics Index. Now, this was originally set up in conjunction with the FT, an attempt to improve on other indices' methodological constraints. It uses land registry data, um, and it combines it with a purpose-built model. Um, Again, they will say themselves, not necessarily ideal, but it's another bit of the jigsaw, if you like. Okay. Now, all these different methodologies and different databases might explain uh, why, when you look at a chart of these indices, they're actually diverging quite sharply at the moment. They're telling us different things. Are there any other reasons why that might be the case as well? Yes. um, We're actually in a very difficult market in terms of trying to understand what's going on out there. Transaction volumes are very low, so there are very few data points compared to what we used to have. House prices are much more volatile than they used to be, i.e. things are selling for a much wider range of prices. So it's much harder to understand what the average is in those prices. And also, regionally, the markets are diverging massively. As we all know, London has gone completely crazy in the last few years, whereas pretty much every other market in the country has more or less been stagnating. Um, That means that the idea of producing a nationwide figure becomes ever more questionable. Okay, now we Brits obsess over house prices like almost no other nation on earth. And many people believe property is is a better investment intrinsically than things like shares. And some people even believe it to be safer than cash in the aftermath of all these banking crises. But how does its long term record stack up against against, uh, other asset classes? 
Well, the data that we've looked at um, shows that in the 15 years to 2010, property averaged better than real-term returns um, compared to equities or gilts. So it's done pretty well in recent years. However, um, we shouldn't be too complacent. An analysis over the much longer term shows that in the past century, um, on an international level, so in terms of, you know, kind of more generalised performance, housing has delivered much lower returns. It also has much lower inflation sensitivity. So this makes it a low risk investment, probably comparable to gold, but with slightly higher returns. That suggests that the performance in Britain in the past 15 years or so has actually been unusually good. But that probably means it's more risky, volatile market than most housing markets in the, in the world. Okay. And is property really an investment anyway? Should we be thinking about our, our homes as, as an investment or are they really just another another piece of, of consumer good, no different to a, to a car, for instance? Yes. The fact that we don't just um, own our homes in order to make a profit out of them, we own them to live in, that makes them a consumable good. And the fact that people seem to increasingly be seeing their home as an asset um, is quite dangerous in the sense that house price index reporting can lead people to make dangerous financial choices with the rest of their assets. For example, oh, house prices have gone up by 2%. I feel more relaxed about spending on my credit card or not saving as much. Okay. Thank you very much, Kate. You can read Kate's full cover story about all the myths and realities of house prices in this weekend's FT Money. It really is a belting read, and as befits a stats journalist, it's full of surprising facts and figures. You can send us your own views on this most emotive of subjects too. Just email money at ft.com. Finally today, let's take a look at the vexed issue of long-term care. It's a subject that most of us would probably rather not think about. Not only can going into a care home be emotionally distressing, it is ruinously expensive. Charges of £600 to £900 a week are commonplace. Earlier this year, the government announced a new set of rules for funding long-term social care in a bid to try and reduce the number of people being forced to sell their homes to pay for it and to curb the possible future impact on the taxpayer. From 2016... Care home residents will have to fund the first £72,000 worth of medical care themselves. Once that limit has been reached, the state will step in to fund the rest, provided that the residents' assets, including their home, are worth £118,000 or less. Note that the £72,000 limit and the state's contributions apply only to medical care. They do not include so-called hotel costs like accommodation and food. Now, when these changes were announced, the government expressed the hope that with the basic framework in place, product providers would step in with innovative new products that might offer some insurance against the huge financial risks of requiring long-term care. And there are some signs, albeit tentative, that that is starting to happen. Norma Cohen has more. Norma, one eminent academic institution has proposed a solution of sorts to the to the care home quandary. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Yes, it's quite an interesting approach. It's the International Longevity Centre in connection with Cass Business School who've put forward a proposal. Now, for those of you who've been saving with national savings and investments all these years, it won't look like a new proposal at all because it really mirrors in many ways what we all know and love as premium bonds. And these involve purchase of very small units, a pound each, of what amount to long-term savings that would earn 
interest the way premium bonds do now or would or which would come in the form of prizes. Individuals who chose to save this way would also be eligible for the possibility of a great big payout, but more likely over the long term would receive interest. It's intended that this pot not be accessible until you actually need it. And this is one of the hitches. It's a very, very long-term savings product. And even after retirement, uh, you may not be able to tap into it. Uh, What it means is that you would need to be certified as sufficiently disabled before you could use your funds. On the other hand, you wouldn't incur any tax on your interest or your, your prizes, and you would know that your money is absolutely safe, it has the government's AAA guarantee, and moreover, there are no fund charges. Plus, you do have the opportunity to gain the possibility of a, a very large prize. Okay. Now, what happens if um, if you if you get to a ripe old age and you're very fortunate uh, that you don't require social care, uh, and, and effectively you you die and the money is unspent? What happens then? It it go it reverts to your estate, and one of the proposals is that it be exempted from inheritance tax. Uh, and several of the discussants listening to the proposal this morning mentioned how concerned older people are about covering funeral costs. It could also be used for funeral costs, and one of the attractions is that local authorities pay, the social fund pays quite a lot for funeral costs. And and this would give peace of mind for older people. And it would also presumably reduce worries about about inheritance tax and the the taxman gobbling up 40% of their estate if they if they were to pass away. Yes. I mean, the the proponents did did specify that this kind of a program uh, with its many attractions would require legislation, particularly to preserve the tax-free elements. Also, uh, the National Savings Premium Bonds Program, which has been going since 1956, is probably one of the lowest cost of any investment program anywhere in the world to operate. So it has a lot of attractions. And is the, um, are the proposals designed to protect the, the individual or and his and her heirs, or, or are they designed to protect the taxpayer, do you think? As the law is currently contemplated, it's more designed to protect the individual. The research from Cass Business School suggested that as many as 70% of the population actually could probably afford up to five years of care. But there's a 20% portion of the population who can't even afford a single year. Uh, And this is where the greatest difficulty comes in. Okay, well, thank you very much, Norma. We'll have to see whether these proposals actually get any commercial traction. But clearly, the debate about how we fund long-term care and who should pay for it is really only just beginning. And there's more on that in this weekend's FT Money, which also includes a 16-page supplement looking at the challenges facing financial advisors and wealth managers six months into the new regulatory regime for financial advice. Don't forget that you can read about money online throughout the week at ft.com forward slash money. Our Money Matters blog, for instance, has posts on the withdrawal of virgin money from the self-build market and the current volatility in emerging markets. If you want to comment or ask a question, you can do so online or email us. The address once again is money at ft.com. But until next week, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Joe, Norma and our special guest, Kate Allen. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Selling a little? 
or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.